I would like to find faith to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you, and it is great to have the beautiful Jesse here with us once again. Jesse, how are you, my dear? I'm doing better now that you called me beautiful. Mm. <laughs> Anytime. I don't mind speaking the truth. So, it's been a month since we've talked. Yeah. I don't know how the weeks end up working, it seems like. I swear I get like injected extra weeks every other month or something like that. Um, but it's been a month, and so we're going to do a little uh, I Dream of Jesse, episode 18. You want to tell the good folks what this is going to be about? I'm calling it Go Big or Go Home. Wow. <laughs> All and, right. And, and this one's going to be a live read. Which is, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. So what, what inspired the live read? Oh, one of our listeners and a follower of my blog, Ryan, thank you, Ryan, um, actually requested this. He likes the way that you do the militant eroticism with a den where you do the little commentary afterwards. And he said, you know, if you guys do a live read in the commentary, that might work. So we're going we're to give it a try. Okay. Could be horrible. Right. Um. <laughs> Could be a big mistake. All I'm gonna do is take away from <laughs> the authority of your segment, but okay, we'll give that we'll give it a go. Uh, give the people what they want. That's our mantra, <laughs> for better or worse. It's like a marriage of sorts. Um, oh well, let's do this really quick here. It is October fifth. Surprise! It's the fifth, and we have a great show for you this week. Um, so we already started with the I Dream of Jesse. Let's do it backwards here. That's going to be the tail end of the show. In the middle, sort of the cream filling of the show, <laughs> I had a listener send in an article called The Clockwork Condition. This is a long New Yorker article that I'm not going to go into entirely, but what I am going to do is speak to the core of the article. And, uh, well, of course, Jesse will as well since she's here. And the second article here. Get ready for a total lunar eclipse. Eclipse, 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 <laughs> I need a sound guy. That, <laughs> like that, was, to... that was your voice echoing in space where it wouldn't echo. <laughs> I don't need a science girl. <laughs> I need a sound guy. <laughs> All right. No one can hear you scream in space. I get it. Uh, and at the beginning, we're going to start off the show after a little bit of banter with the devil's advocate, the fifth satanic statement. Oh, yeah. I love this statement. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna chat about it for a bit. Maybe uncover some new perspectives or rehash some old ones. But before we do anything, I have some very special news. And those of you who follow me on social networking, me as in the show, 9centspodcast.com. If you follow 9cents on social networking, you already know, but Minnie, my dog, is back! Woo! She's back! Ah! So excited! Oh, 
No, it was. <laughs> so we, my wife called me on my long commute home one night, and she's like, "I just got a phone call from the animal shelter, and they have Minnie." I was like, oh, that's awesome. Get your ass over there and pick her up. Uh, Did they see who dropped her off? Can we press charges from someone who stole our fucking dog? And she said no. So what ended up happening, which is really strange in my opinion, really strange, is that after someone dropped her off at the animal shelter, after we've had posters up all around neighborhoods around our home, after, you know, about two weeks of her being gone, we, uh, and, you know, having like lost dog notices on social networking sites all around and then, you know, local sites like ksl.com and stuff, we finally get someone who texts my wife saying, we think we have your dog. This is the exact day that we have already picked her up. And so we're like, "Mm, don't think so. We actually have her in hand right now. They're like, Really? Because it looks almost exactly like your dog. And they send a picture, and goddamn right, if it's not the exact same fucking our dog, Minnie. And we're like, you have her? Like, well, no, she got away a couple days ago. Like, so why are you telling us now? And they're like, well, we've had her for a week and a half. We've been walking her around the neighborhoods, and we tried to let her go, but she just keeps coming back to our house. And then one day, we opened the door, and she just left miraculously, and apparently someone else found her and took her to the shelter. So let me say this to all of you fuckwads that think you're doing someone a favor by keeping their dog or an animal that obviously does not belong to you. There are shelters all over this goddamned country. And if you're out of the country, I'm going to make some broad judgments that there's probably shelters there as well. If it's not your dog, take it to the goddamn shelter. Don't hold on to it and then pretend that you were just taking good care of it until the rightful owner came to claim it. That's bullshit you were trying to steal a motherfucking dog and it got away from your ass and so you tried to do everything you could not to get it tracked back to you so you don't have to get fined the thousand dollars that i would have laid on your dumb ass had i found her before you fucking let her go <sighs> sorry <laughs> get so goddamn angry about this so they you know they're texting back like we took good care of her we gave her blah 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 everything they could do uh to prevent us from thinking that they actually stole her which in my mind is exactly what they did um whether they found her running scared from lightning storms in the middle of the night or not they still kept her when they didn't they shouldn't have and any dog owner knows that you don't fucking do that if you love animals you take them somewhere so that they can find their their rightful owners because if you lose your dog where are you gonna look some random house in some random neighborhood or your local shelters like where where else would you go and then why didn't you why did you wait for two weeks to respond to the cancel ad that we placed the day after that she went missing you obviously found it and you only what apparently looked after she ran away from your dumbass too I actually didn't want to rant about this, but it's just sort of coming out. So it just drives me nuts. They obviously fucking took our dog and kept her, and our dog escaped their dumb asses. But she's home, and it's always weird when they come back. You know, Minnie's done this disappearing act twice, um, and so it, there's this little adjustment period where they're not quite themselves, but obviously they're you know they're just sort of adjusting to whatever situation they came from or whatever. Um, and Minnie's always been a little bit weird because she was an abused dog when we got her, so it, it it's always been a little bit tough. And so we did what today what we just figured would 
sort of pushed that reset button in the animal's brain and we took her hiking. So we went to uh, Three Forks Trail, which is down Spanish Fork Canyon. It's a really wonderful, uh, mild hike that ends in a hot springs. And she absolutely loved it. I mean, it was it was so much fun seeing her just immediately return to that super happy, excited dog that we know and love so much. And everything seemed to be just perfectly normal. And all in all, it was just a really great day. And it's so wonderful having my dog back. And it's weird because you don't, like, when they're gone, you you initially panic and you're afraid. And, you know, what if they get hit by a car or what if they, you know, get killed in some other way or what if someone steals them and keeps them? Um, you never You never really think about what it feels like when you stop thinking, stop missing them and your life starts to sort of get to normal without them and then they suddenly come back and, you're, and you sort of feel this guilt like oh shit I I feel like it you know we were doing okay without her and now she's back and I'm super excited that she's back but I'm feeling guilty that I felt so fine because it was you know fucking three weeks or two and a half weeks so we, we just didn't know and we just assumed someone was going to keep her indefinitely so it it was just weird a lot of different emotions running through but overall everyone's crazy super excited um so thanks for all the uh, kind words from all of you listeners um, and co-hosts who, uh, you know, shared your thoughts when throughout this whole entire drama as it's been unfolding. Uh, we really appreciate it here at the Campbell household. And it's really great to have our dog back. Yay. Um, Yay, Minnie. <laughs> and the chickens are crazy excited, too. <laughs> it's so funny. I was uh, walking out and uh, checking the mail the other day. And I heard like the birds flapping and squawking and I walked around to the back and it was just like tag between <laughs> Minnie and the different uh, chickens. They're just running after each other and sort of like, you know, making them run and, and just scatter. And then Minnie would stop and then the birds would come after her and she would scatter. And it was really funny seeing her play with her old friends again. <laughs> That's great. That is yeah. great. <laughs> It's fucking cool as shit. Okay, um, in uh, show news, I just recorded the Greater Magic episode last night, and I'm going to now tell you who the guests are since it's recorded, and you can't tailor your questions to them specifically. So let me first say this. Uh, to those of you who sent in questions, thank you very much. We were actually fortunate enough to address uh, virtually all of them, actually. And it was really nice to have your interaction with this. And we had a really, really fantastic discussion. I mean, a really good one. This is going to be, this is going to be, uh, you know, at the top of the Greater Magic episodes, in my opinion. Um, and uh, the guests that I had on was uh, Magus Peter H. Gilmore, High Priest of the Church of Satan, of course, and Magister Michael Rose, author of Infernalia. Um, both of them have created their own rituals, published their own rituals, and so I thought it fitting that those two distinguished gentlemen would discuss customizing and creating your own rituals with me, and with, you know, I guess for the benefit of you, the audience. It was a really great discussion, and I'm really excited to get it out and uh, share it with you guys, but again, it's not going to be till the very last week of this month, Halloween week, so look for it then. Um, oh, let's see, what else? Oh! This last week, I'm sorry, I do have a couple notes that I'm trying to work through. <laughs> um, Lucifest 2, the second Lucifest happened. And uh, <laughs> this is 
First of all, I really love music. I love music. I love uh, when friends of mine put together festivals and I get the uh, opportunity to attend them and hang out and just listen to music and sort of pal around and just have a lot of fun all in all. And Lucifest was actually a lot of fun. Um, you know, these things never end up being exactly what the, you know, the people that create them want them to be or expect them to be. But all in all, I think it was a really good time. I, and I, I ran into this when I was uh, sort of doing the punk rock uh, dive bar scenes in Germany, where you'd have touring bands come around and the crowd isn't reacting the way that they want the crowd to react. And so they start like talking shit on the crowd or trying to rile them up in order to get them to act the way that they want them to act. And you run into this a lot because, I mean, with Lucifest specifically, it was uh, metal, punk, and hardcore um, genres and then all the sub-genres therein. A lot of doom heavy metal when I was there, actually. Um, not really my cup of tea, personally, but I still enjoyed it for what it was. Um, but the the uh, there was this one band that was just like talking shit and it drives me crazy i went and i saw the forgotten over in germany which is sort of like a i don't know, like a gothic misfits ripoff band in my opinion um certainly when i saw them perform that's what they were and they were like walking out and just telling you you're a bunch of pussies why aren't you out here moshing with us come on someone get up here and hit me in the face and you know the, the crowd that had gathered it's never as big as the bands want it to be and so I, I honestly think there has to be a certain number in the crowd for a good mosh to organically start. And in my experience, that's always been the case. Otherwise, you have like one, two, or three people up near the front just sort of bouncing off of each other, punching and kicking each other, but it never really kicks off because you don't really have the furious amount of people necessary for a good mosh. And it's not the audience's fault. It's not even really the band's fault. It's just the venue. You know, if it doesn't draw enough people, you can't get a good mosh pit going. Yeah, you almost, um, you almost need it to be crowded enough that people are going to bump into each other by accident. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what... Exactly. Yeah, it, it's just once people start doing that by accident, then it's a little more on purpose, a little more on purpose. And it's like you said, it's, it's totally organic when it happens good. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, the music has everything to do with it. If, if you have a sustained... A uh, beat and rhythm going that's hard and furious, then people will react uh, with it. <laughs> so funny. Uh, here's what here's what I don't understand about death metal. This is what I just I just don't get. I one I can appreciate it on its face for what it is. I've never been into it. I've never bought a death metal album. It's really just not my personal cup of tea. Though I I can respect it. I get it. Um, that being said, the shorter the song, the shorter chance you have of any actual interaction with the crowd in a pit organic environment. Like, how can you expect a mosh pit to happen in a minute-long song? So I don't care how hard it is and how much you're screaming or barking or yelling in the deepest tone you can muster, it's a minute long! Like, you cannot get a fucking pit going in a minute! It's just not enough time to sustain anything. I, I piss longer than that sometimes. <laughs> so you just can't. It's so weird. And then they're like starting. They're like, Why didn't you guys mosh? <laughs> like, you, you, 
It was just seconds. It was just not long enough. You have to get us going. You have to build the momentum. And there, <laughs> there were so many bands sort of filtering in and out. Each band was only doing like four to five songs. So if you have five songs that are, you know, about a minute and a half, two minutes in length, but there's pauses between each song, how the fuck do you expect there to be any, like, real, genuine interaction? I just don't understand where their their mindset comes I was, from. I was just going to say, I mean, how long are their transitions? I mean, shouldn't they be, like, planning it out? So, okay, we, you know, and three, two, one, and into the next song, you know? Mm-hmm. What the hell is that all about? Yeah, and even during your countdown, you could say the name of the song if that's what you wanted to do. Which there were some people. They were like, thanks, my name, this is Band X, and uh, this is this song. Uh, buy our t-shirts, or you know, we have some free CDs in the back. Just cut that shit out until the very end, and just, if you are expecting the crowd to react to your music, then focus on the goddamn music, and just get going. So, I don't know, it, it was really funny, but my, my nephew had a... Uh, uh, he does screen printing for t-shirts and stuff. And so he brought a bunch of those there. And so it was this sort of, and, and I brought my son to the first night, this surreal moment of uh, me with, uh, you know, some other friends uh, and my nephew and my son enjoying this uh, really dark, heavy, not really quite well put together music. <laughs> like these bands are all local. I mean, every single one of them. And so obviously talent's going to vary. Some of them are going to be kick-ass and some of them, meh, not so much. All of them are okay enough to perform. They're just not as tight and in sync as they should be, in my opinion. And so my son is just like, this is terrible. Why? I don't even want to sit here anymore. We got to go. And it was just like this. Whenever you go somewhere, you want to stay there. And this is the way my brain works. However long... It took to drive there. You need to say twice that length, at least. <laughs> Otherwise, you wasted a trip, you know. So if you stay twice the amount of time it took you to get there, then I feel like you're justified in leaving at that point uh, if you don't want to stay. So I could have stayed all night, but he wanted to obviously hang out with other friends. Uh, he wanted to come home, play video games or whatever the hell boys do nowadays. Sexed with his girlfriend, maybe. I don't know. I hope not. Um and uh, he was just not digging this music at all. Like, he, he barely started getting into, like, old school Metallica. And so you have something like that, which is mind-blowingly in sync every instrument to a live local band. And <laughs> it's the difference between a live show and a kid in his garage. You know, it's just, it's so different. Uh, so he was not enjoying it at all. And so I tried to stay as long as I could. But there was like this moment where I was like, um, I am sharing in my head. I'm like, I am sharing a, a part of who I am with you, my son. And this is such a wonderful moment that you can see how people react to me so he can get a sense of my weight around other men, which I don't know if anyone else has ever thought about this, but I think it's really important to see how how people respect other men uh, differently, you know, so whether you deserve it or not, or whether you've earned it or whatever, but but everyone was so fucking cool, and they just treated me so well, him seeing that, I think, you know, puts you in a really good place as a father-son uh, sort of, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, um, just, you know, him looking up to you. Uh, so I was just really excited by that. The second day I went out there and it was just me hanging out with my nephew and his friend that was helping with his booth. And obviously the venue, 
um, creator. And it, it was really, it was a good fucking time. I had a really good time. Again, not really into all the music. I feel like I missed all the bands that I wanted to hear. And then I left before I could hear the other bands that I wanted to hear. But uh, I still had a good time. So if you happened to stop in at Lucifest 2 this year, uh, let me know. Let me know what you thought. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pass on the words to uh, the powers that be that created it. And, uh, you know, we'll see if we can uh, do anything for next year uh, along those lines as well. Do you go to a lot of, uh, like, live shows at all, Jesse? Not, not in a couple decades, really. Who was the last one you saw live? Oh. Well, I went to see uh, uh, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, And cool. their, their Wave Goodbye tour. Because... Because I honestly thought that was the last tour they're going to do. And, of course, they just recently did another. So <laughs> They say that, too. Oh, God. They, I remember, the, uh, like, twice in vivid memory that Reznor has said, this is my last album or this is my last tour. Hey, one and of they, these days he won't be lying. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually it will come true <laughs> in some, <laughs> some way. Yeah, I always think that's amazing. Uh, I'm done with this. I'm never going to act again. And then you come out and do a show. Or I'm never going to record any more music ever again. And then you're like, shit, I got to pay the bills. I got to come up with an album. Yeah, but that was like the only show I've seen in recent memory. The rest would have been all the late 80s, early 90s. Oh, right on. Yeah, I don't, I don't go to a ton of shows because they tend to be kind of expensive. And I like to spend my money more on, you know, sort of the family in the house than just me listening to music. Um, it's a bit like masturbation in my opinion. And, you know, I can, <laughs> I can do without it if it's going to cost a bunch. Um, so anyway, yeah, that it was, it was a good time. Lucifest 2, check it out. So um, does that mean when you masturbate, you're in public? Cause I would have thought, you know, that would be more like listening to the music at home, but you're comparing it to, you know, going out in the crowd. I just mean doing something solely for you rather than for your family. I didn't, I didn't try to break this down. However, I have, did you ever see, um, there's this really terrible, as virtually all of them are, Keanu Reeves movie. It was like a walk in the sun or, or it was like this Tuscany, like he was in like a Tuscany Italy or something. Really terrible show, anyway. Uh, my wife and I, when we were dating, we're the only people... I think maybe I've told this story before. We're the only people in the entire theater. And so we sat at the very back, and the movie was so terrible, and there was no one else there. We just had sex in the back. The That's theater. awesome. <laughs> we're like, well, fuck, we might as well... We paid the money. We're the only people here. We might as well get something out of this. <laughs> and we were kind of young, so we didn't have anywhere else to do it anyway, so... That's the, the best thing to do with a Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's. <laughs> in nomine de nostris, Thomas Luciferi Excelsior. In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Sweet Sorry, vengeance. Glass of wine. Um, all right, so <laughs> vengeance. I, this is, you know, obviously, you know, it's on the nose. What does this mean to you, Jesse? Uh, it means obviously that you know one cheek is all bruised already, so don't turn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and that's I, it for this devil's advocate. <laughs> I I never quite understood the the whole christian notion of turning the other cheek i just i was never able to grasp that so 
it's it's like I almost I I almost can't explain this one because I cannot c- comprehend the the opposite of it. Yeah, it's weird, and I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to go into explaining why Christians are the way they are because I truly don't understand that either. But it, it's just one other thing that Christians say: uh, turn away from your natural way of being, and. I don't know, hope, because this is what they ultimately do anyway, is hope that God will punish the wrongdoer or pray that God will do the punishing. But then, honestly, how is that different from vengeance? (laughs) You're wanting bad things to happen. So that, you know, that's not even a real thing anyway. Uh, yeah, actually, the, actually, there's 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 three things you could do here. Come to think of it. okay. so you could do the Christian turn the other cheek and let them slap you again. You could slap smack the, the hell out of them and take vengeance or you could run away so there are actually three options and two of them are non-confrontational so the christian turning the other cheek so they can beat you up some more just doesn't make any sense at all but perhaps we should consider the okay i'm not going to hit back i'm just going to run away scenario because that's that i could see in certain circumstances you know, if I'm really overpowered, I'll fucking run. <laughs> yeah, and <clears throat> I think it's important to <clears throat> excuse me, I'm like a little frog here. Um, when when thinking about this, uh, the, that whole turning the other cheek or or uh, embracing vengeance rather than, it, you know, it, it's easy to put it on this this sort of micro scale where it's mano y mano, face off of two individuals or something. But in terms of Satanism, it's very much a broader context. So um, <laughs> the idea that you bring up of, uh, and, and, it, and it could be a, a broader definition of vengeance here, um, immediate versus ultimate um, or, or eventual vengeance, because running away in many contexts makes perfect sense. Uh, for example, if I was um, in, in, in running away, being a loose term here, as I'm about to um, give you here. So if, if I was for some crazy reason uh, kidnapped by ISIS and asked if I was a Muslim, uh, I would for fucking yes, right, say I was a goddamn Muslim. Like, why the fuck wouldn't I say that? I don't want to die. I cherish life. And so in that instance, I ran away from the uh, potential... Uh, negative that that comes of uh, standing up and, and going toes. Um, but <laughs> that being said, uh, if you can actually get out of a negative situation, then running away makes perfect sense. And so vengeance is not always immediate, and it's, it's not always uh, just a blind reactionary. I think it is important, especially as Satanists, because we... <laughs> we and this is something that I think the Fist Satanic Statement confuses a lot of people, because... On one hand, we're saying uh, be a responsible part of the society that you're in. And then on the other hand, we're saying uh, take vengeance. And don't turn the other cheek. Take vengeance. Smash him on the other. And that's not always a literal thing. And in fact, in most uh, all cases that I can think of, it's never that thing. Because that's going to lead you to further punishment from the society that you're in. You have to... Use a little bit of uh, that hat rack up above your nose to determine whether or not you should actually react in that way. It's it's a very infantile thing, uh, a very juvenile way of behavior, thinking, you hit me, 
I hit you right back. And of course, we embrace vengeance, but it's got to be intelligently. It has to be with a little bit of planning. It cannot just be outright. So, um, I don't know, this is a pretty broad question, Jesse, but do you, uh, what kind of vengeance, um, I, I guess, what, what methods of vengeance in any given situation, you know, just whatever you're thinking of right now, um, would you take as opposed to physical reactionary violence? Well, well, the obvious first example would be an appeal to authority, you know, whether that's uh, calling the cops on somebody or if it's like a workplace thing going to the boss or something. Because um, normally that's the best way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of something where it wouldn't, uh, where that wouldn't apply. Uh, it's strange. I mean, you could, you know, <clears throat> I guess here, here's an example. Hasn't happened, but it's something that I've thought about. If uh, another kindergarten boy hits my daughter because she's in kindergarten, um, the reaction that I would want to do would be to pummel that boy to death. The reality is, is I don't hit kids and I, <laughs> I they, you, just, you just can't hit a little kid. So I would have to find some other way of taking vengeance on this kid who just hit my daughter in this manufactured scenario. <clears throat> so I'm not, you know, I, I I don't really know how. An appeal to the powers that be, uh, i.e. the teacher, the principal of the school, uh, the parents of the children or child would be my first sort of go-to like, I, I would take care of that. I would want to, and this is just because I'm an irrational human being, I would want to beat up the father of that boy <laughs> because that is someone that I could hit. But in reality, I I probably wouldn't, even though I'd want to. Uh, you could use a little bit of lesser magic with those powers that be to uh, manipulate the situation uh, and, and really make the child or the family be punished for the child's behavior. I think w- what we find a lot in modern society is that people aren't given accountability. They aren't forced to take responsibility for their actions. And so if you are, in, like, uh, here's a perfect example, actually, that makes you know localized sense here. Uh, the family that took my dog. I don't know for a fact that they kept her for a week and a half intentionally and my dog just escaped i suspect that's what happened but i don't know for a fact and because there is that little doubt i didn't call the cops on them we have their phone number we have their address i could very well just do it and say they stole my dog but i because i don't know i don't really want to take that vengeance you know even though i'm really upset about it so you have to and and again this goes into that uh wonderful uh thing that I've, I've talked about over and over again of these satanic statements sort of playing off of each other. You have to take responsibility with this saying, if my reaction or the vengeance that I bring about to whatever wrong has happened, am I absolutely in the right to deliver it in the way that I want to? Or should I honestly just sort of take a step back and take a second look let cooler heads prevail and take another approach at getting my vengeance um, in this case my dog initially was afraid and so she escaped her backyard herself so i can't blame someone else for that so i don't feel like i should punish someone else for it um, 
so that instance. But uh, yeah, I mean, are there are there cases, Jesse, that you could imagine? I don't necessarily need you to narrate them, but are there cases that you could imagine that turning the other cheek would actually end up being better than reacting reacting with vengeance? Mm, okay, so while you were talking, I was thinking of uh, road rage. So oh, okay. you're driving along on the highway and somebody cuts you off hard. Mm. And it's a situation where they literally put your life in danger. Now, because I was thinking, okay, when, when wouldn't I take vengeance? And, and I'm not the sort of person who gets road rage. I just don't. I don't know why. I just don't. Um, and so in a situation like that, I just ease off the gas and put some distance between us. And I'm thinking to myself, well, am I turning the other cheek at that point? And I think the reason I don't consider it that is because that's I'm probably never going to encounter that same person on the road again. Mm-hmm. So it's not when you when you say turning the other cheek, it's implying that they're going to attack again and that you're going to let them. And so when you say vengeance instead of turning the other cheek, it's implied that there's going to be a recurring violation of your rights of some sort. But in a situation where it's just like, okay, somebody cut you off in traffic or somebody did something that's like a one-off and you're never going to see that person again, that to me would be the time to say, "Mm, fuck it, I'm going to just back off. Because depending, because in a case like with road rage, I would be endangering my life further to try to get around them and cut them off or whatever the hell I was going to do. Does that? That's a really good point. And actually, that brings up another question that I think is relevant here. And that's, we always, in the context of Satanism, speak of Satanists as adults. You have to be an adult to be a member of the Church of Satan. Um, This religion is very much geared to the fully developed brain, not um, the developing brain. And I think I heard somewhere that it was age 23 on average is when your brain is finally fully developed. So with that in mind, we're not thinking with our juvenile mind, and we have to rationally decide what, what action warrants us expending so much energy as to wreak vengeance on someone else. Because it isn't something, if you're gonna if you're gonna get revenge, it isn't something that's just gonna be like a flick of the wrist and it happens. This isn't a, 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 a fictional show. This is our lives. It's going to take genuine effort and time on your part, energy that you're going to expend in getting your vengeance. And you're not gonna want to do that for every car that cuts you off. I mean, it's just it's too many calories for something as flippant as that. Um, so. It is a, it is, it's a good point of, of what warrants, what actions would warrant vengeance. And so physical harm to my immediate family, I would say absolutely. Um, and, you know, by means of family, I'm including friends that I've, you know, that I love and that I've chosen to share, share my life with. Um, I don't know, what to you, Jesse, would be like that line, like I... I will definitely wreak vengeance on something uh, if this happens. What, what would that be for you? Well, the, the more I'm reading this, the more I'm seeing it's got to be something that's going to keep going on unless you act. And so your two choices of acting are to turn the other cheek or make it stop somehow. Mm-hmm. If it's just a one-off, and, and you know, like you said, somebody harms 
a member of your family. Okay, even if that's a one-off. That, yeah, that's vengeance. all Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm reading into this now. You know, it's, it's, okay, you've got something that's going to keep on going until you deal with it. And at that point, it's vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Yeah. Whereas the one-offs, that kind of more applies to the, what is it, the first rule of the earth? You know, bother no one, but if they keep bothering you, smash them. Or like, I can't. You'd think I'd have that memorized that I could have, you know, phrased that a little bit better. But you know the one I mean, damn it. Well, it does play off of uh, number 11, when walking open territory, bother one. no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he doesn't, destroy him. And so you have, the, you know, we have this very um, colorful language uh, when we discuss Satanism. And Anton LaVey had a, a particular way of, of evoking uh, these really powerful emotions through his writing. Um, but the, the, the context of those words is lost when you're looking at uh, an, a juvenile brain versus a, a fully developed adult brain, because it's not reactionary. You know, we, we cherish the fact that we're animals, but we elevate ourselves above that. Even as Satanists, you know, was was really funny is that we're sort of caught between these these gray areas of saying, well, we're just humans, but we recognize that we're animals. Um, we believe in vengeance, but we have to obey the laws of the society we live in. You know, there's there's always this addendum to these statements that you don't get just from reading the statement at face value, but you do get. If you read further essays and writings, not only from Anton LaVey, but also the other great minds that are part of the organization, the Church of Satan. Um, and, and that's why uh, there's those, those uh, that, that sort of uh, watchwords of uh, study, not worship, is because you have to continually evaluate and discover what Satanism really is. You cannot just look at the nine satanic statements and say, there it is. <laughs> that's it. Because you're not going to fully understand it. You just aren't. Because th th that's not the totality of it. Those are really wonderful bullet point uh, topics of discussion, but they do not fully they do not fully explain themselves. That's incumbent upon you to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is is there anything else that you want you you think we should uh, touch on with this? I, I can't Vengeance. think of anything else. Yeah. Instead of turning the other cheek. Um, I will say this, if you're in a relationship, um, if your wife undercooks fish and you get sick, don't beat your wife. <laughs> if, if your kid, uh, I don't know, crashes your car, don't beat your kid. You know, this idea of vengeance needs to be taken with uh, a grain of salt in with an adult mind. Like, you're going to have to decide on your own what is justified and what is not as a reactionary discipline uh, for whatever incursion you've accepted. But you, you have to do it with an adult brain. You cannot just say that, well, uh, this guy cut me off. I'm going to fucking crash his car. <laughs> I'm going to run him off the road. Because that's just really not the case. And, you know, you can easily see where you, you were speaking to um, recurring problems in a work environment with a particular boss that may not like you or, or just is just a shitty boss and he treats everyone poorly. That would be a perfect example of, of maybe you need to work a way uh, to uh, enact a little vengeance. A coworker, maybe you need to work a little way to, you know, 
if uh, if there's just you know a, a neighbor, maybe you have a, a really shitty neighbor that continually sort of in, encroaches on your property or just takes advantage. Well, then that would be another place where you would maybe want to consider some some vengeance. Okay, that. Oh, sorry. Can I no. interject? Go ahead. Because you just brought to mind something else that we ought to bring up with this, and that is lesser magic. Because if you have a boss that's being shitty or a neighbor that's being shitty or anybody that's being shitty to you, maybe try lesser magic before you try vengeance. Because maybe you can turn that situation that's recurring that requires a response into something that just stops without you having to decide between turning the other cheek or, or getting vengeance. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. And then that goes to the discussion of what forms does vengeance come in? So lesser magic would be a wonderful way of enacting that. So you don't even have to, you know, you think of vengeance and at least for me, I immediately think of physical violence, but that's not necessarily the case. It's the same as might is right. Well, might is not always physical strength or physical reaction. Sometimes it's intellect. It's figuring out a way to have your will be done. And we've spoken to this briefly on the, on the, the podcast in the past as well. Um, and, and actually, uh, Magister Nemo has written a really wonderful essay on it. So you should definitely uh, check out his writings. But um, yeah, what, what forms does uh, vengeance take? And as Satanists, we have a really wonderful outlet for that. Uh, if, if lesser magic is not working, you have greater magic. You have the ritual chamber. You have the decompression chamber to get that rage out without breaking any laws. We have tools in place that you can enact vengeance without going to jail for the rest of your life <laughs> or getting killed in the process. I, you know, and so you have to examine that. But I, I mean, just like you just said, Jesse, I would absolutely turn to lesser ma- as any Satanist should should know. Lesser magic is your best friend in life. You can make people do what they normally would never do through lesser magic. You can adjust their behaviors simply by behaving slightly different yourself. You, your dress, your, your volume, the way you present yourself, how you speak. These are all little ways to twist reality into getting your way. And it is a perfect and, and really should be your first choice of a form of vengeance if you feel it needs to be enacted. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Hey, no problem. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jesse. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> all right. I don't know. I, th- I think we kind of covered all topics here. I, I guess as a, a final uh, bow on it, I suppose, whenever you're thinking in the context of vengeance, think. That's really it. Use your head. Don't react. Think. Uh, it's very easy to read these with your 12-year-old mind. And uh, as a Satanist, we're not 12-year-olds. So uh, that being said, let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. All right. Uh, in front of the foreman. Uh, in front of the foreman. Okay, so let's, uh, clockwork condition. This article is, uh, was sent in by a listener. Thank you very much. If you want us to speak to any articles that you find of interest, listeners, go ahead and shoot them off to info at ninecentspodcast.com and we'll address them as soon as we can. This was sent to me a couple weeks ago, I think. 
but uh, this is the first chance we're going to have to talk about it, so we're going to. So this article was actually on the NewYorker.com, and it's the author of A Clockwork Orange, the novel that was later made into uh, a movie. Actually, I think there was two movies made about it, but only one that was good. Anyway, the book was originally published in 62, and it followed uh, a sort of anti-hero named Alex, um, who had a passion for classical music, Beethoven specifically, but also a passion for violence. And the idea of the novel, the, the concept of the novel, was a society that would remove the option of negative perceived negative behavior or outright negative behavior uh, through conditioning to uh, to the benefit of the society itself. So in the context of the book, A Clockwork Orange, uh, the hero was uh, sort of forced to watch uh, certain imagery and the end result, and, and hear certain imagery and sounds, the end result was that whenever he thought of violence, it made him sick. Whenever he heard even classical music, it made him sick because the movies that he was shown had classical music in the background. So that the downfall of conditioning him to become sick, it, it meant that these other related elements made him sick. Sex made him sick. Um, I mean, the, the idea of classical music making you sick so you can't even hear it. It almost brings me to tears. It's such a terrible thing. <laughs> um, so in the context of that novel, uh, he's writing this article speaking to the benefits of freedom of will, even uh, negative actions, versus the idea of what freedoms are allowed in a society to be safe and happy and operating. So it's sort of that herd mentality versus the individual. And I thought this would be a really interesting discussion between you and I, Jesse, um, because uh, one, you're a very intelligent woman and I couldn't speak to this alone because <laughs> I'm not a very intelligent woman. <laughs> but uh, Not anymore. Not since that operation back in 84. It went really well, by the way. Nary a scar can be seen. Uh, <laughs> um, I, st I still have my original boobs in a jar, though. It's kind of weird. But I couldn't let go. Um, anyway, what the fuck am I talking about? Uh, so fr society removing freedoms uh, because the society deems them as wrong. And I w I'm kind of reminded, like, so when we went up to the hot springs today, um, obviously we got in the hot springs. Why would you hike to a hot springs and not get in? But there was a lot of other people there. And I have a lot, very satanic imagery. I have the sigil of Baphomet on my back. I've got uh, the good of Menendez on my arm. I have um, a wolf's hook in a trapezoid on my wrist. I've got 666 on my fingers. So I'm, I'm covered in ink that is very much oriented uh, with Satanism, even the occult too. Um, I got a bunch of other tattoos and stuff. So... That is a very negative societal image, especially when they see me uh, being a good dad and they're like, wait a second, shouldn't he be like eating his children or something <laughs> as a Satanist, <laughs> as they see as a devil worshiper? So, um, <laughs> which is really kind of funny. They, I, I noticed this one guy just staring, just outright, unashamedly staring at me, uh, 
And the only reason that I can really justify it, because I don't think he was homosexual and sort of on the hunt or on the prowl, I genuinely think he was offended by my ink. And so he was just sort of mad dogging and staring at me. And so, you know, I would like look at him and he wouldn't say or do anything. So I'd turn away and focus again on my family and just sort of, you know, what we had, the fun we were having in the hot springs and stuff. But the idea that in a society where the majority does not like this imagery or Satanism uh, or Satanists, in the context of a clockwork orange, they would just remove us. They would recondition us and change the way that we thought or acted. And so you see a little of these parallels with uh, individual freedoms uh, as, as far as at least the American current government uh, is working. So you have people desiring... Um, to add further restrictions on gun ownership. Um, little things like restricting where you can smoke, if you can smoke, how old you have to be to smoke a cigarette. Uh, certain drugs we have serious restrictions on. Um, behaviors. It's not okay to be a racist, an open racist. Um, it's not okay to be sexist. It's not okay to uh, champion your ethnicity, whether you're black or white or any other color. Um, you have to blend in and you have to be the average and the dull. So I don't I, I, This is a bit of an open discussion here, Jesse. Do you think that there are justified um, conditioning? Or I'm sorry, there is justified conditioning in a society. Well, okay. First off, a, a bit of a disclaimer is that I did not have a chance to read this article, so yeah. I apologize to the whoever sprung it on her. Sorry, guys. <laughs> whoever sends it in, I'm sorry, I didn't read it yet. I will, but um, <clears throat> I am reminded just of you talking about it and, and letting me know quickly what it was about. I'm reminded of. Um, a call that came into, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dan Savage, the, the sex advice columnist, but he had somebody call into his show and it was uh, a, a pedophile who was calling in to give advice to other pedophiles because he had learned that there's this over-the-counter drug you can buy that completely suppresses your sex drive. And listening to this guy call, he sounded damn near suicidal and even spoke about having been suicidal in the past and said this was, you know, he, he knew he wasn't normal. He couldn't help it. The only way he could make himself something that could live in society was to take these drugs. And I started thinking about it. I wish I could remember the name of the drug. I can't. I suppose that doesn't matter. But I started thinking about it saying, you know, because I, I, I'm of the opinion and, and I Apparently, the science is behind me that um, people don't choose to be a pedophile. You either are born that or not. Or maybe you're not born it. Maybe it's something that happens early in childhood. I don't know. But by the time you reach puberty, you're either that or you're not. And that is such a threat to individuals in society and the very fabric of society that if somebody were to say, well, I think we should make it a law that we should take all pedophiles out back and shoot them in the head... I'm not immediately opposed to that. I'm not saying I agree with it. There might be a better way, but I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad way. That seems a reasonable solution. Just maybe not the best, but a reasonable solution. So I get this guy calling in 
and hating himself for what he is and offering advice on how to control it by just like, and I mean, for a guy to talk about suppressing his sex drive to where he doesn't get off anymore, that's a freaking big deal. That's, that's a huge set. I mean, that's a big That's a big sacrifice for a woman to make, but for a guy, that's huge. So you can't say this guy isn't trying, but then I start thinking, okay, well maybe we should be, you know, if we, if we can somehow identify pedophiles, have some sort of program where they have to, where somebody like actually puts it in their mouth and make sure they swallow it like they do in, in some of the rehab centers and things like that. Right. And maybe force that kind of control on them rather than take them out back and shoot them in the head. So I don't know. There might be situations where a government control makes sense. Generally speaking, I'm kind of with this guy where I think people should be allowed to live their life, even if it doesn't conform to the the greater societal norms and, and mores. But sometimes, maybe. Sometimes maybe it makes sense. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good example. Um, oh, man. That is, it, it's such a difficult... Uh, okay, so a little bit of fantasy to put ourselves in the position um, to truly see this from the other perspective. If we lived in a purely homosexual environment and you are shunned and seen as disgusting and vile if you liked to have sex outside of reproduction with the opposite sex, I would be in the same position that that pedophile would be in because it would be seen as a societal wrong. You could be jailed in this science fiction version of reality that I'm talking of. Um, and so if I'm in that con, if I'm in that situation, yeah, life would be the number one choice for me. It would be so goddamn hard to live as a, as a, as a, and you say pedophile, is that the way to pronounce it? I've always said you pedophile. Know, I've always said pedophile too, and I recently heard it said pedophile, and I, oh, I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. Maybe I was pronouncing it right, and I heard it wrong. So apologies oh, okay. to the, it's not the first time one of us has mispronounced something. Not by a long shot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's interesting because it's, it's not that far removed from our current society that it was okay, that it was a norm to have a young child lover you know whether it was a slave or, or whether it was uh, somehow deemed yours to do but it wasn't so many hundreds of years removed yeah and so, actually and actually uh just to kind of tag on to that is the term gets used more broadly than it means it actually refers to pre prepubescent -pre children but it gets applied to any minor in our culture and yeah, yeah. honestly, I mean, any what is the age of consent? So yeah, absolutely. Any fourteen-year-old, male or female, is a walking ball of sex hormones. They totally want to get laid. So and that's, I mean, that's that's a genetic reaction. Our species needs to reproduce. Girls, as soon as they have their period, they are ready to propagate the species. That is. That is how we are genetically created. That, that's how we survived as a species for so long. Yeah, and I, and I think there's a world of difference between someone who's attracted to a 14-year-old and someone who's attracted to a 9-year-old. Not saying that you should be 
screwing around with a 14 year old because if you have your sex drive under so little control yeah, that you're is, going to break a law. <laughs> this a is an uncomfortable conversation for sure. Um, it, it, it drives me. I, I just, I recently had a, a sort of doubling down of a conversation with my son actually, because in the news I heard about a, uh, a 16 year old boy with his girlfriend who was 15 and they were sexting and they were both charged with child pornography because oh, of the sexting. Yeah. Yeah, and hearing about that sticks with you for your whole life. They and and that will affect your entire life. Um, And uh, they're just kids, and they were only communicating back and forth. And they their parents found out, and for some reason they were stupid enough to call the cops, and they ruined their kids' lives forever um, because of that. And so I had this very powerful conversation with my son, saying, "Look." You, you have your own phone, you have girlfriends and girls that are attracted to you. If any of them ever, ever, ever sends you a naked picture, delete it and tell them to stop. Do not save it because, and you know, I let him know about these other um, situations. Like this will ruin your life. If someone finds out, it is not something that you should play with. Wait until you're old enough and mature enough and of like like societal legal age and then do whatever the fuck you want i don't care but do not fuck around when you're a kid because one small slip up and i would never go to the police i would just go to the parents and say look you need to stop your daughter from doing this like you you need to be aware of what your daughter is doing and you need to stop it and if it was my son doing it i would say you need to fucking stop zero options i don't care you have to stop. It is not acceptable because if you don't stop, you will ruin your life. And you know, so you have to have these really awkward conversations because society has said that 18 or 16 or 15, I guess it still depends on where you're living, is the limit. And anything under that, whether you are biologically mature enough to uh, have children or not, is irrelevant. But our society has said that you must be that age or else. And that or else is heavy as hell. So there's no playing around with it. And I, I actually completely agree with you about the pedophile thing because I'm sorry, I'm so used to saying it that way. I'm going to continue. Um, my, my old psychology teacher in, I have spoken to this before in the past as well. My old psychology teacher in college, uh, actually was, um, uh, at a, a local prison, she would go there and, and talk to the pedophiles to help try to rehabilitate them. And she said that it's, it's literally impossible. It's, it's the difference between you liking men or women or young men or young women. Like you, it's just what you're attracted to. You can't control it. It is something within you. And so there's no way that you could possibly change it. Just like you said, the only way is that sort of diminishing the sex drive or eliminating the sex drive, or eliminating the individual. And I i gotta be honest, we have so many leeches on society, I, I kind of lean on the side of let's, let's eliminate their sex drive and let them be productive members of society, rather than eliminate their lives, if they can be a productive member of society. But going back to that earlier, putting yourself in their shoes, pardon me, um, situation, um, if I, if I couldn't have sex with like my wife or other women, I mean, that's a, it's such a, this is going to sound probably pathetic to a lot of people. It's such a huge part of my life, sex. I, I would probably genuinely think 
about maybe even ending it if it took if it went on long enough because it's just it's so it's such a natural desire to have and it's such a powerful desire that if you cannot you know uh if you cannot exercise those demons they will take control in some way or another they will manifest you know it's a tough situation God damn, that's a really good example. I don't even like talking about it because it's so, it's so dangerous. You know, it's, it's such a, it's a scary conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that you brought it up and we could talk about it though. That's, that's fucking tough. Are there any, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm with you. I do definitely think that there are situations that would require a society based on that, that individual society's good and bad rules to restrict behaviors. Um, are there any that you think maybe are restricted that shouldn't be? Yeah, I was, uh, oh God, I can't remember where I heard this, but uh, a study done that shows that as internet, as, as the availability of internet rapidly increases in one country after another, uh, incidences of rape go down. Now, of course, what's, really? what's the most popular thing people look at on the internet? Star Wars. Uh, after Star Wars. Oh, porn. Definitely porn. <laughs> well, actually, after Star Wars, it's kittens, but then it's porn. <laughs> it's true. So, so true. <laughs> so, there is the case to be made that rather than porn increasing violence against women, which is what we've been told for so long, porn right. actually decreases violence against women. Because let's face it, if you can see it on your screen, you're going to jack off to it then and there. You're not going to go out and attack some woman when you can see is it on your screen. Is this why we don't have video right now? <laughs> <laughs> is that why? You're afraid of what you might see. <laughs> oh. I can't concentrate! <laughs> but I, I'm thinking, and I'd like to see some kind of study done on this, but I mean, even if you take, like, uh, rape smut porn, where, where you're, like, you're watching someone get raped and then shot in the head when the guy is done with her. God damn. The absolute worst of the worst. Does yeah. that increase violence against women or does it decrease it? I'd be really curious to see that. Yeah, we actually had a, a pretty decent conversation about that last week with the guest host. About sex, um, I'm sorry, with uh, porn affecting uh, uh, human behavior. That's a really good... I confess I'm behind on my podcast. I haven't heard that one yet. Sorry. Oh, really? I thought that's why you brought it up. How no. funny. Wow, yeah. <laughs> talk about coincidence. Um, yeah, you're going to hear about it <laughs> whenever you get up to it. Who is the guest host? Um, oh, fuck. You're going to fucking call me out. Uh, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty goddamn positive his name is Nick. I, I have it on my notes. I just, I'm just Right now, I'm like a glass and a half of wine in, and we've been ranting. I can't think of it right now, but okay. um, I'll get it to you if you really want to know. No, no. It's good. I'm pretty sure it was Nick. He was awesome. I think he was really good. It was a, it was a really great conversation. Um, so in the context of, of, of uh, uh, society restricting porn, not being restricted may actually benefit society. And if it is restricted, may actually harm the society. Same argu argument could be used for drugs, uh, at, at least uh, some drugs, I would say. Um, our war on drugs has caused much more problems than if there wasn't one, in my not-so-humble opinion. But I think this science... 
or the, the, the facts prove that point out as well. Um, here's one thing that I know I'm probably going to get a little heat for, but I genuinely, it, this kind of bothers me. Um, I don't think, I don't think we should be punished if we have, uh, biases or irrational hatred for sex, race, gender, or anything like that. I, I genuinely think if you're a business owner, that if you don't want to serve X type of person, then you shouldn't have to serve them. And it's so not, it doesn't conform with societal norms. It is not okay to think that it's not politically correct, but it's your business. You built it. If you don't want to serve a certain type of person, I don't see why you should just because society says you should. Yeah, and that's one that I, I genuinely like I don't, if you're a racist, I don't care if you're a productive member of society, if you don't harm someone else, more power to you i give a fuck if you're sexist if you're a woman and you hate men and you refuse to serve men at your bar or whatever i, I don't i wouldn't want to go there anyway so i don't care fucking only serve the women you want to serve if you're a man and you don't want to serve you know women i don't it's a little weird in my opinion but fine more power to you i just there's gentlemen clubs <laughs> you know there, there's there's little minute examples of uh, biases happening all the time. Ladies free on Thursdays to draw in more of a crowd. So, you know, it's okay in certain contexts, but not in broader context. And I don't know. What do, what do you think about that, about um, biases and, and uh, government mandating that everyone should be equal? I can see having those mandates on government, on, on, on the government on itself mm -hmm. like you can't have the the motor vehicles be you know promoting racism or, or adhering to racist policies of their employees you have to have that be fair but in terms of the commercial market yeah no i'm, I'm totally in favor of of people serving who they want to serve and it actually brings to mind um i guess the salvation army has some sort of uh, policy prohibiting the hiring of homosexuals or or maybe it no longer does but it did at one time really yeah salvation army and that's a christian organization though right yeah and, so and that makes sense i knew a, a bunch of lesbians who like one got hired at one of the salvation armies and then she got made the manager of that store or something like that and so she hired all her buddies so the whole store was being run by lesbians <laughs> And it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, they might have started out trying to be bigots, but they grew so big that they no longer had control. And yeah, so they, they suddenly yeah. had, you know, this whole lesbian store going on in the Hartford area. <laughs> you know? And then, you know, like, honestly, in that in that case, how does it affect anyone? Like, they're still running it properly. So as long as they're making money, who really cares? Yeah. Yeah. No, just, yeah. I, I have I have no problem with with people being discriminating. I think that probably would help. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, it's it's kind of like common sense that if you okay, if you open a restaurant and you're going to discriminate, it's going to be very difficult. It's already difficult to make money as a restaurant owner. But if you won't allow certain people in and then you can't have certain parties come in because one person in that party fits that group and so suddenly their friends don't want to go there, it's really difficult to make money that way. So mm -hmm. I, I'm totally in favor because the people who can make money doing that are going to have some pretty fucking awesome product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, it, it's the only honest 
capitalist way of operating. You know, let, let the cream rise to the top and everyone else is going to fall apart. If you're a bigot and you don't want to serve, you know, a portion of the uh, uh, area you're in, well, you're probably not going to last very long. And so, you know, it, the, the, the system will weed itself out. But by mandating that everyone has to hold hands and sing Kumbaya, we're, we're taking away that, that individual perspective that as human beings is so important. As Western thinking human beings, I suppose I should say. Yeah, um, it's, it's like if I, if I wanted to turn my home into a bed and breakfast, I wouldn't let just anybody stay here. No way in hell. Yeah, that's a really good fucking point. If and and think of it in terms of that. If you if you rented your house out or a room in your house out, who would you not want to stay if they came a knocking? And then it, thinking in those terms, what if there was a suit behind you saying, "No, no, no. You cannot discriminate. You must let them in." <laughs> That's fucking crazy. It's your home. Yeah, it, so, it totally goes against small business innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I mean, that's it, it's it's crazy. It, so that's one of those things that I think we shouldn't be doing as a society, um, you know, to sort of bring it back to the, the broader um, conversation. Here. Yeah, how the hell did we get on that? Weren't we talking about a clockwork orange? Is that where we were? We but that's what it is. It, it's society... <laughs> Uh, restricting certain behaviors or eliminating certain behaviors because they deem it wrong and how that really truly affects the human condition and what it means to be a human. Like, we are inherently bigoted by our own life experience, by our cultural experience, by our local societies that we've grown in. We have biases that we have developed for a reason. Not all of it's because it's a hand-me-down from a, a generation before you. And that like is you, that is half of the reason I'm against hate crimes is because hate is so damn natural. And mm-hmm. the other half of the reason I'm against hate crimes is because that means somebody is assuming what's going on in your head. Because there's yeah. no way for anyone to know that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm so opposed to any kind of hate crimes. If you commit a crime, you commit a crime. Doesn't matter what your motivation was. Not one bit. Ooh, that's, yeah, I, it took me a while to get to where you were going. <laughs> I'm blaming the wine, not my stupidity. But yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's a really good point. I'm blaming we, the beer, yeah. not my communication skills. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, that yeah, that you you bring. Uh, hold on, this is going to take me a second to get to. Um, you bring uh, a really interesting point that also speaks to. Um, uh, sentencing children as adults versus sentencing them as children for crimes committed. If it's such a heinous crime that we deem heinous, well, then we're going to, we're going to try them as an adult. Like, well, wait a second. They're, they're still kids. Their, their brains are not developed. Just because you didn't like what they did doesn't make the crime worse. It's still that crime. And they are still infantile brains like you cannot just say because a kid committed the crime that you're going to try it in my opinion that you can try it as an adult because you didn't like it they're fucking kids sort of like that that sex crime thing that i brought up before um the um yeah sexting being charged as kids sexting being charged as child pornography child pornography yeah holy fuck who it's insane like it is so crazy it is two underage kids 
just ex exploring themselves. It's literally no different. Well, okay, well, it's digital versus physical than them in the backseat of a car exploring their bodies with their hands. They're just fucking kids. Like, I don't know about you, Jesse, but I played doctor with my share of little girls. Yeah, no, no, and that's, that's the difference. And to be fair, even little boys. And it was just my way of exploring who and what I was. That's the difference is the technology and the people making the laws haven't been raised with the technology being so ubiquitous. They don't get that this is just like talking. Texting yeah. is just like talking. You know, it's... And literally, like sending a text image is no different than lifting your shirt up and saying, look at this. Exactly. Exactly. But people even your age and certainly my age just don't get that that's all that's that really mean, going even on. even your age? <laughs> What was that? I mean, we're both, in, in terms of this particular conversation, yeah, we're yeah. both old fogies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pass Adam. Ask me the mustard, mama. <laughs> I don't mean yeah. to age you prematurely, but <laughs> by the standards of these kids, you're old. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's perfectly legitimate thought process there. So the, the individual's... Uh, enacting legislation are so far removed from the technology that they're trying to react to. Like their minds haven't even fully wrapped around it, in my opinion. And, and this can actually be seen in any C-SPAN discussion and any, any congressional investigation of crimes when they, even the conversation of climate change and the general, just, just the, the basic understandings of science Versus the questions that come out of these people's mouths. <laughs> like, you're like, these are the people on, on the, like, these are the people in control of things? Like, they don't understand basic principles. You know, and they're in I, charge? I remember I used to draw pictures of boobies and pass them around in math class. And this is the same goddamn thing. Oh, you're my favorite student <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Same. Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, all right, so I don't know if this is what <laughs> the listener had in mind of our discussion, but this is where I took it. We went to boobies and pedophiles. <laughs> Fuck. Welcome to Nine Cents, people. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Seriously. We're worse than a forced Gump impersonation. All right, let's do this next one, uh, if you like. Do you want to um, set this up? I keep considering I haven't read this article either. <laughs> okay, let me set it up then. <laughs> I'll give you the first crack at it. Uh, this is uh, the Sydney Morning Herald technology section. Get ready for a total lunar eclipse by Tanya Hill. Uh, look up towards the east on Wednesday night, October 8th, and a total lunar eclipse will be visible from across Australia. The moon will slowly move through Earth's shadow as the sun, Earth, and moon fall into line with each other. The eclipse occurs during the early evening, making it the perfect opportunity to head outdoors and watch it happen with family and friends. Best of all, you don't need any special equipment to see it. From Western Australia, the eclipse will have begun by the time the moon rises. In Perth, the moon will almost fully eclipse at the, at, I'm sorry, as it first appears above the eastern horizon. Totality will occur just a few minutes later. Okay, so uh, around the world, uh, you should see this in your own areas, but it's going to hit Australia first. 
I wanted to bring this up because, uh, no, I do not believe in any cosmic power from alignment of planetary bodies. Uh, it's a bunch of bullshit. But I do love the the human tradition of assigning authority to that. So throughout history, we have seen planetary alignments, uh, eclipses, uh, as heralding an event. And so I, I would really love to have a conversation with you, Jesse, um, around the idea of using this to our advantage uh, in lesser magic or maybe just generally in life. Um, so can you think of any context that you would use an eclipse uh, to your benefit? Well, if I were in one of these communities where you have a bunch of people who are like into it, like believing in it kind of thing, like into astrology and all that. Yeah, yeah. And you could like, like I, I got to imagine Stonehenge. I got to imagine when there's a lunar eclipse, a bunch of people go to Stonehenge and like act like a bunch of fools. I would <laughs> yes, so, no, that's good. I would so love to be there when that happens because those people are producing so much energy that. I would want to be able to like take it in and channel it to my own means. But, you know, living yeah. in the hills of Western Massachusetts, I'm not surrounded by a bunch <laughs> of loonies like that. So I don't have that opportunity. But there's, there's a couple things you touched on there that I think are, is rather interesting for further discussion. You mentioned that they're producing a lot of energy, and then you mentioned um, being able to harness it. And both of these ideas are very fringe. So the, the notion that these people, through their, uh, in my opinion, misguided excitement over some ancient mysticism, um, being in some location that essentially is just a calendar for the sun <laughs> and mm -hmm. moon. Um, uh, that, that somehow they can tap into some reservoir of energy or something. I'm not, I'm not convinced that generates anything from their willingness to believe. Uh, but also the idea of being able to tap into others energy. So I, I do think that you can, um, uh, okay. So I'm trying to think of how I can relate this idea without sounding uh, sort of new agey. Well, let me, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, let me let me try to restate it without because because I probably did state it in a way that could be interpreted as new agey, and that's not what I meant. Um, I don't I don't see that there's any cosmic force that's giving these people energy. I think they're putting energy into it with their desire to believe in a cosmic force, and mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not anything woo woo about it. It's it's when people I mean take take okay you're you're, you're watching a, a football game with your friends and they're all excited about the game. That's contagious. That's energy that you feel physically. Just being in the room with a bunch of friends who are all rooting for the same team. It's that kind of energy I'm talking about. And it's that kind of energy that once you realize you're kind of getting it from the people around you who are, who are purposely building it up in themselves because they want to with the situation, that's what I'm talking about channeling. That's exactly exactly where I was going to, um, and I was going to say in the in the context of uh, the the Lucifest that I was just in. So these guys and girls raging to this music, it's infectious, and you feel the energy that they're putting out, and it's very easy to manipulate that 
um, by uh, redirection, uh, interaction. And uh, so you do definitely, if you've ever been with someone who is just crazy excited, it is infectious. Like you feel that energy and it does, it sort of flows through you in some way. And again, we're not talking about any mysticism or anything like that. Just reality and experience, you cannot deny that you feel, you know, that you can be influenced by others' excitement um, uh, or action. So uh, as a Satanist, we can absolutely, and I would say that lesser magic is a perfect uh, tool for using that energy. Um, and though I have literally don't have any specific examples in mind, is there anything, Jesse, that you think, um, I, don't, I don't know, that, that in this eclipse, for example, that, that you could use to your advantage in any way? Well, like, I, I mean, honestly, if I, if I lived a few blocks away from Stonehenge, I would totally do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I kind of get into the astronomical things that go on, whether it's a meteor shower or an eclipse or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, w lacking the druids at Stonehenge to <laughs> kind of leech off of, I just kind of... You know, I'll look up at the stars and I'll know that other people are doing that and I'll try to imagine them. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes just imagining the, the energy that other people are going are giving off is enough to create energy for me. I know that yeah. that probably sounds hackneyed, but I'll, I'll tell you what, a complete tangent here, but it's the same sort of thing. If you've ever watched a TV show where they have laugh tracks... I mean, yeah. laugh tracks sound totally fake, and yet studies show if they put in a laugh track, people watching the show are more likely to laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter how fake the energy source is. That's a really good point. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, that's great. And I was, always, I was thinking of this in terms of you know, Anton LaVey often, and, and even actually Magus Gilmore, talks about, in various writings, using, and so does Magister Nemo, actually, um, using others' beliefs to influence them through ritual, specifically. So if your, uh, if your target does believe in astrology, you can use a planetary alignment to uh, enhance a ritual that then affects them in some way, whether it's lust or compassion or vengeance, whatever it is, you, you like you can use this situation to your advantage. We are not so far removed from looking up and seeing a red moon and thinking this is the apocalypse. Like our primate brains will rage at a meteor shower at, at just th things that are so far removed from our personal experience and so powerful and large as an eclipse they will fucking move you and you can use that to your advantage in in any given situation i, I mean i was in um <laughs> i don't even know if i'm supposed to say this <laughs> I think it's say it. Okay. Say it. Yeah, in that case, let me spill the beans. So I was taking a psyops course in the military, and um, we we had an instructor who, though the science doesn't bear the notion, was convinced 
that the moon had a biological effect on our behavior because we are made of so much water. We have so much water in our bodies that the moon's tidal pull <laughs> actually affected our brains. So I know there's anecdotal evidence to this in emergency rooms on, on uh, full moons actually, you know, having a higher occurrence of freakish events and, and stuff like that. Um, but this was a military psyops course that he was spewing this notion. And so I, I, I want to, I want to emphasize this because I think it's so important. <clears throat> the United States is the only first world country that has the most powerful military force in the world. Unarguably, hands down, we own the world in military might. And our leaders believe that the moon affects your body and your brain. So, with that in mind, you can, you can just take it to any level, to a boss that you maybe want a day off and say, I, I, there's an eclipse, my grandmother died on the last eclipse, I need the day off to mourn, and you'll get the fucking day off. Like, you can use this to your advantage for anything. There's someone that has been bothering you at school or in college or in, at work, and you just want to really get under their skin, and, and you tell them, I just performed a ritual on the eclipse that you will die and they're gonna freak the fuck out for days or weeks or you know i mean whatever you want you can use this because at some primal level we are all so connected with stuff like this it's such a powerful idea i just think everyone should possibly use it and even if it's something it doesn't always have to be negative even if it's something like for example um I know I'm doing a lot of talking. If just interject if you have, if you want to shut me up. Um, no, I want to make one point, but I'll let you finish oh. this one. Okay, I was just gonna say, um, if uh, I, I want to help my my kids with their schoolwork, or or maybe just you know have a good feeling for a little bit, I'll say let's go outside and jump on the trampoline and watch the lunar eclipse. It will it, it will reinvigorate you, or it, it will it will you know I already lied to them about Santa. Sorry. Spoil so, alert, people. There's no Santa. Um, I, I lied to him about that. So what does this fucking hurt if I tell them that a lunar eclipse, if you experience it under the, the bare naked sky, uh, rather than in your home on a TV screen, then there is some uh, cosmic vibes that you'll enjoy. You know, I mean, so there's just something, you know, you can always use it in any context to uh, lighten a mood, to darken a mood, to shift a behavior, to influence a behavior. Like we, this stuff is so intimate to us that we can, totally use it to our advantage and i'm just saying this because it's coming this week and and by people listening you're probably hearing it the day of or the day before i mean don't don't miss out on a potential opportunity so what were you gonna say i was just gonna say because i mean i know you kind of came to satanism from a magical tradition whereas i came to it from <laughs> yeah. the, like the skeptical side yeah so for me you know, whenever I ritualize, it's kind of sort of like an act a bit, sort of. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that I'm like walking into scenery that the people I'm acting like would have used for ages going back through human history really adds to it. 
You know, I, I'm following a, an age-old tradition doing it. Yeah, that actually, <laughs> after after having just recorded the Greater Magic uh, episode, that is uh, a thread that runs through our discussion, I'll say. So yeah, 100%, absolutely. I mean, it's for, for some people, if you don't come into Satanism through the occult side of things, I'll say, um, it can be really challenging putting your mind in that ritual place. I don't want to fucking steal the thunder from this episode, um, this Greater Magic episode. Urgh. I'll just say that, uh, fuck, how can I say this without ruining anything? You know what? I'm going to leave it as a tease. Listen to the episode. I'm not going to say anything more. Ooh, you tease. You're absolutely right, Jesse. <laughs> absolutely right. Um, all right. I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's kind of all I had for this. We're actually running really long. I'm going to actually end up cutting out some of my intro ranting <laughs> to, to accommodate because I really want to, uh, without dulling people's minds, do I dream of Jesse in a really good way. So how about we switch to that? Okay. Jesse, what do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd I'd like you to address me as master. I I am your master after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Uh, I I assume that was part. I mean, the outfit. It it kind of suggests. You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. Last month, I got into goal setting. This month, I'm focusing on priorities. And when it comes to priorities, go big or go home. Big can mean three things. First off... A big goal can be one that's seriously life-changing. Changing jobs, starting your own business, proposing to your sweetheart, or divorcing that dirtbag, or moving to a new city, or taking in your aging mom. These are all big life-changers. It's quite natural to wait for the right moment on things like this. Don't. It's just going to eat away at you until you do it. Once you've reached a point where you know in your heart a big life-changing goal is the right thing to do, set a date and do it. I notice other Satanists using the holidays of Walpurgisnacht or Halloween to make big life-changing goals. I say follow suit. No matter how, no matter what your goal, you won't find yourself putting it off more than six months that way. Going big doesn't need to be an immediate life-changing goal, though. Going big might mean going for a goal with the biggest commitment of time and effort. The longer you expect a goal to take, the more important it is to start today. No waiting for a holiday on these goals. Start today. I want to contrast this with prioritizing by deadline, because using deadlines seems like a no-brainer. A no Here's why not to use deadlines. Let's say you're a student. You have a paper due next week for one class, a test for a week later for a second class, and a third class you have to give a presentation. So if you go by the deadlines, you'll write the paper first and then study for the test and then work on the deadline, or work on the presentation. Bad idea. Tests require memory retention, and memory retention requires repetition over time. Your grade on the test will decline the longer you put off your first pass on the material. 
Papers require editing, and presentations require both editing and practice. Kind of like I should have practiced presenting this episode of I Dream of Jesse. <laughs> the right way to do this is to review the test material, make a first draft on the pa- make a first draft on the paper, outline your presentation, then go back and review the test material again, then edit your paper, then flesh out your presentation out in an outline, then review the test material again, and by now your paper is coming due. So you table your presentation and the test for the moment and focus on editing. Paper handed in, you start alternating between the test and the presentation work again. By the time you've taken the test, you should be giving your presentation out loud to a mirror, timing yourself and editing out what's not working. That's how you excel at all three. Prioritizing by time and effort has other benefits as well. The longer term the goal, the more obvious this becomes. So say your goal is to start investing for retirement. Well, the sooner you start doing that, the better. Provided the stock market doesn't tank, your wealth will accumulate more the longer it sits there in a mutual fund or an IRA, or the longer you've been using it to flip houses. Or say you just want to generally be fit and healthy. I can't begin to tell you how tough this seems to be for middle-aged people who have never built up healthy habits early on. We are all creatures of habit, and either our habits are helping us or they're hurting us. Whatever your age, question what your habits are doing for you. If your habits don't fit your long-term goals, you probably don't have your priorities sorted out. So, compounded interest, memory retention, and good habits are all the kinds of benefits you can enjoy when you start your goals based on time and effort, and not on deadline. So go big or go home. As I said earlier, big can mean three things. It's not just goals that represent big changes or goals that represent big effort. It also means tasks within each goal that have a big impact. Once you've set a goal and prioritized it by time and effort, look at what tasks make up the goal in terms of their impact. Let me explain by way of a very visual example. Let's say you really want to turn your home or apartment into a lair worthy of a Satanist. You've already got a few things to work with, maybe a black leather sofa with leopard print pillows or evocative posters framed on the wall. Perhaps you've got a curio cabinet full of hundreds of monster Pez dispensers. Whatever your thing is, it's fine. But one curio cabinet does not a lair make. So grab a friend and a camera. If you want your lair to satisfy you, have your friend come over during a time of day that you are most often relaxing in your home. If you want your lair to influence your guests... Have your friend come over at a time of day when guests are most likely fre- are most frequently entertained. Timing is crucial because visually lighting is crucial. Tell your friend to take three to five pictures of each room in your house. If your friend looks at you quizzically, you can explain that you're trying to see your home through a fresh pair of eyes. Don't tell them what to shoot or where to stand. To see it through the, their eyes, you've got to let them shoot what they see. You can try to take the pictures yourself, But your brain sees past things that interfere with what your brain wants to focus on. I, for instance, might take a picture of the fireplace in our living room, but I wouldn't include the stairway next to it, with its dull beige carpeting and plain white walls, now would I? Clutter is often the biggest problem. If you have clutter, the longer it sits there, the less you will see it. Dust bunnies and unwatered plants can also be another visual blind spot. When you get used to seeing something, you don't see it. And if you take the photos, if you take the photos, you're liable to keep these little problems out of the frame. So have a friend take them. Or hell, if you're really daring, have an enemy take them. 
The point is to look at the photos and force yourself to really see how lame they are. Because if it's your goal to make your home a lair, then clearly it isn't one already. So look and see. See the clutter. See the plain renter's white walls, evocative posters notwithstanding. See the mildew and the grout on the bathroom. See the stains or wear, pardon, the wear patterns on the carpet in the bedroom left behind by the previous occupant. See how that curio full of Pez dispensers looks great but is completely out of place with the rest of the decor. See this and then think. Think what one change you can make that will have the biggest impact. As a hint, if it isn't moving out of that house or apartment, it's very often changing the walls or the floor. Looking at the big picture can help you to realize the time, effort, and money you'll need to spend into painting a room or changing its carpet will do far more to alter the person's experience in that room than might, you know, a wicked cool lamp or an antique sofa. Similarly, get a friend to take pictures of you. Not ones where you're looking at the camera smiling, but candid photos where you're doing something else or talking to someone. You know, mid-sentence where you've got some weird expression on your face as you're pronouncing certain words, or where you're genuinely laughing and your eyes are all crinkled up. Or maybe just ones where you're sitting staring blankly at your phone. The purpose, of course, is to improve your lesser magic. To do so, you need to see yourself as others see you. Others see you at bad angles, in poor light, making weird faces as you pronounce words, or with your eyes crinkled up in laughter. You can't know if your look works unless you can see yourself as others see you, and the ubiquity of digital cameras makes this so easy it should be a satanic sin to neglect it. You will see whether you sit straight or slouch. You will see how your hair looks from the back. You'll see how your ass looks from the back. You'll see if your clothes are all rumpled and wrinkled from sitting down even though they were fresh and crisp before you left the house. You'll see if your makeup works from the angles other people see you at. If your friend fits enough other people into the frame, you'll see if other people are checking you out or if no one is checking you out. There's lots of information to be had, and when you have it, again, think. Look at each picture and think, what's the one thing I can change that would have the biggest impact? That's your priority. I had planned to stop there, and perhaps I should, but since I won't be on again until after Halloween, here's a bonus tangent on lesser magic for warlocks. I haven't, to the best of my knowledge, met another Satanist in person, but it seems most men subconsciously gravitate to an image of good guy, stud, or dude you don't want to fuck with, or some combination of these three. And that's fine, except it seems with most guys, they at least want to incorporate a little bit of the dude you do not want to fuck with into their image, whether or not they can pull it off visually. In terms of the one thing that can have the biggest impact on your lesser magic, it might be to change which of the witchy paths you're headed down. So look in the mirror. If you're shaped like a downward-pointing triangle, go for it. You can evoke wonder. If you're shaped like an upward-pointing triangle, abandon the effort. You'll only look foolish. If you're shaped like a twig or a ball, you might need to mix wonder with sex or sentiment to pull it off. Now, in The Satanic Witch, LeVay talks about mixing sex with sentiment and, with, and mixing sex with wonder, but not sentiment with wonder. In case you're thinking that can't be done, think The Godfather. An old lady is getting evicted and asks Don, Don Corleone to help her. It's because he's scary that he's able to, and it's because he uses his power to help an old lady that he builds up feelings of sentiment. You can absolutely mix wonder and sentiment. 
But I want to talk about not using wonder at all. For some guys, you just can't pull it off. I know that's harsh, and it wounds the masculine pride to hear it. Hell, it wounds the feminine pride to hear she can't pull off sex. But do you want to delude yourself, or do you want to get the most out of life? And just as a hideous woman can enjoy a fulfilling sex life, because the world of kink always has a place for everyone, a truly wimpy man can enjoy power. He can literally be a dude you do not want to fuck with, but he'll have an easier time reaching that point if he doesn't try to look like one. If you want a character example of that, check out the actor Albert Finney's character, Dr. Albert Hirsch, in the Bourne movies. He's the guy that turns Matt Damon's character into Jason Bourne. He's totally an upward-pointing triangle of a man who only, who's only scary if you stop looking at him and start thinking about what he's capable of. Open your eyes and you see an old man with narrow shoulders and a big gut walking around unarmed. When Bourne confronts him, he doesn't act tough. He yields. He gives Bourne what he wants. Memories of the past. Sentiment. Matt Damon can portray dudes you don't want to fuck with, but, F but Finney portrayed a dude who fucked with Jason Bourne without ever raising his voice. Now we, as Satanists, get to wear our costumes all year round. Go for impact by choosing one that fits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what I love about <laughs> your segments, is it inspires thought and uh, a bit of uh, dialogue. We don't often get that. In this case, we actually do get that. So let me, uh, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, first of all... <laughs> How did you learn so much about men? Because <laughs> uh, you were right on about your assessment. Um, you know, a very, very natural tendency to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I dig that. As a, this has been, man, this has been something that's been at the, the forefront of my mind since I can remember. And that's projecting an image of authority and power. Uh, in the absence of any rational reason to wield it. Um, I'm not a big person. I don't look intimidating in any way. But through uh, my watching other dudes, and it's very much, god damn, boys are so stupid. Guys are so fucking retarded. We, uh, we think very much in prison terms. <laughs> like, if you project aggression... Uh, you're expected to uh, act that way. And so we will uh, behave accordingly. So as a young man, <laughs> like, for example, oh God, I'm going to sound so stupid saying this. Uh, as a young man, I would walk through, because when I was young, we actually went to things called malls to shop. <laughs> I don't think people do that anymore, to be honest. I'm older than like you. So, you, you know, you're like... You're like, you're like saying at one point we didn't have the internet. Can you imagine what that's like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we went to malls and I would walk through like just angry, <laughs> so aggressive. Just like I'm going to point A and point B and no one fuck with me. And really it was out of fear. Not, not because I genuinely thought that someone was going to fuck with me, but just... Like, I wouldn't be seen as someone who wouldn't want to be fucked with. And it's weird because that's just sort of the, the machismo environment I was raised. Um, so that, 
that was really interesting. So, I mean, I guess to the, to the point of uh, sort of your wrap up there, we get to wear our costumes all year round, um, go for impact by choosing one that fits. You know, I ended on one of like mixed, and this is weird because I don't know if I, if I concluded, and I'm going to ask you about this too in a second here. I don't know if I landed where I am because I manufactured it or if because it was the natural end to my manufacture. You know, if if I wholly created it within myself or if I was just naturally that way and my conscious mind creating who I was happened to align with just who I would naturally be anyway. I don't, I just, I don't feel like I'm fucking hitting my mark here. So, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. <laughs> Deflection. No problem. Ready uh, to take Do it. you put, <laughs> do you put yourself together, uh, with, with, uh, the world, your environment in mind every day? Or is this something that you, you are just comfortable being? No, it's, it's, it's much more planned. I guess it's I because because I'm well I don't know if there's ever a normal time but I feel like I'm at a weird time because I mean to look at myself in the mirror okay clearly of the three sex is the one to go for but I'm also 44 so I've got to be transitioning somehow because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pull that off forever and take into that that, you know, I, I was recently made a manager. So now I'm part of a management team when I go to work. And so there's got to be a, a hair more perfect professionalism to it. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, some managerial customer service. It's like the lowest <laughs> job. Nobody ever wants it. But <laughs> but I do kind of. Don't shit on you. <laughs> Don't shit on a, a better position. But, you know, so I do kind of like think, okay, I still got to play the sex card because that's my strongest card. But I've also got to kind of make it look unintentional because I'm in this manager role. And I've got to be transitioning into something non-sexual at the same time because that's just <laughs> fact of life. So, yeah, it's it's very much strategic and technical and all that. It's not natural. <laughs> It's it's definitely not, oh, I think I'll just wear whatever I feel like wearing today. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> yeah. I very much, and just by way of example, going to this Lucifest once again, I put myself together. Like, it, it very much wasn't just I just threw on whatever was in my pile. I wanted to look good. When, I, when women look at me, I want them to... Uh, to stir a little. I, when men look at me, I want them to say, that's an attractive man. Like, I I want to know that person. So it, I, and I don't know if it's just the way my mind works. I don't suspect it is because I think it's a normal thing. Um, but I very much, you know, I, I put together myself the way, and, and this is interesting because depending on the audience, depending on the environment, I will put myself together very differently. So I very much cater who Adam Campbell is to who I'm around. And and that just speaks to your 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 point here of uh defining yourself. Uh 
think that's very interesting. So is that something for you that you, you find yourself doing too? Do you always play to the same hand or do you cater it? Oh, oh no, it's definitely catered. Yeah, I mean, like I went with the how I dress for work example because, you know, that's four days out of the week because I work yeah. from home one day. But the three days I'm home, <laughs> completely different. Nice. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Need a little personal. Let's say you and I were going to have dinner. Mm. How would you cater yourself then? Well, okay, since we've never met, Let's say we were going to have dinner. Odds are we'd never meet again after that because we live so freaking far away. Mm -hmm. um, I'd probably, like, to a T, the finest thing I've got in the closet. You know, like, absolute best dressed, hair done as best I can, the whole nine yards. Nice. Because it's going to be probably the first and only impression. Yeah. For sure. I would, mm -hmm. I would for you, I would definitely go with a tie, fitted shirt. For sure. <laughs> I fucking exercise for a reason. I might as well use it. Um, <laughs> I don't really care about my hair that much, but I would go out of my way to make sure that I was groomed so that whatever impression you gleaned, uh, good or bad, would be a lasting one. And I would very much, like if, uh, if uh, your man was there and if my, my wife was there, I would very much want to impress on your man that he is so lucky to have you and go out of my way. And this is something that I do with people. I don't, I don't know why. Um, if they're in a relationship, I want, uh, and, and this actually can be seen as douchey, but I don't mean it to be. Um, if I have a friend who uh, has, is married or something, I will go out of my way to let that man know how attractive his wife is. Uh, and everyone's attractive in their own way. And so I just find whatever that way is and I play it up and let them know that she is desired in some way by me. Not because I genuinely want them, but because I know that it's going to make the guy feel good. Like, I have something of worth, you know? And that works for me so well that uh, a little lesser magic tip there for people. But it, it that's what I would do. Like, if, if, I, if you and I were to meet with, uh, with our spouses, I would totally play to that. I would, I would talk about uh, how impressed I am. And, and what's wonderful about this is that it not only plays to his hands, but it plays to your hands as well. How impressed I am with what you are able to uh, do every month um, with your segment and uh, uh, in your uh, own frequency with your blog, uh, how powerful of a woman you are. And it, that, that's the kind of thing that I would do very much playing to your strengths. Now, of course, if we ever meet, you're going to know it's <laughs> <laughs> not that it's not true, but just that it's me intentionally delivering it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I get to cut together, when my husband and I get together with other couples, there's always, I never want the wife to feel threatened by me. Yeah. And so I will always take that into consideration. Like if I met, you and your wife, you guys are younger. The fact that I'm older already makes me not a threat, so not an issue. But in some cases, we'll meet with couples where they are older than us. And so I really need to, some way or another, make myself non-threatening, whether it's I pay no attention to the husband whatsoever or I just, you know, she's got 
giant knockers. I wear something that makes it obvious that I don't, you know, and things like that. Cause I don't, I don't want to, if, if you make yourself a threat to the woman and the other couple, that's not going to be a friendly foursome. It's just mm-hmm. not, you've got to make everybody comfortable. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, on that note, let's make the audience comfortable by knowing where they can reach out to you. So where can people find you online? Ah, they can uh, read up on my blog, which is Drafts from a Tent. <laughs> I can talk today, too. <laughs> Drafts from a Satanic Windbag at WordPress.com. Or they can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Damned Lucky. Or they can email me at IDOJesse at gmail.com. Nice. I highly recommend everyone does. Uh, Jesse does some really wonderful things with her blog that never makes it to the podcast. So definitely, if you want to learn a little bit more about this very influential witch, um, check out her blog. Do yourself a favor. Drafts from my satanic windbag.wordpress.com. Uh, Jesse, that was amazing. I don't know if uh, the audience will think it's as wonderful as your um, uh, regular segments but uh, i had a lot of fun with that yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see if anybody hey you know what people comment because i have no way of knowing unless you comment doesn't matter which of those three means you use or even just let adam know and he'll let me know but let True us know you. yeah and here's the other thing i mean we uh jesse performed the segment this way per listener request we listen to your opinions and yeah. that's kind of rare when it comes to podcasting, in my opinion. So let us know. I mean, we will adjust fire if you're not enjoying it. We will do everything we can to entertain and to educate uh, in our own uh, special ways. So, you know, your opinion matters. It, it truly does. And, uh, you know, this is ultimately for you. So let us know. Uh, but I guess that's going to do it for another show. <laughs> We're like... <laughs> Two hours and Holy mackerel. <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> I'll try to edit it down, but I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. This is going to be a really long episode. I hope, I hope people enjoy it. Um, if you did, let us know. And if you didn't, let us know. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. It's important, people. Remember, you can always leave us a testimonial on the website as well, 9centspodcast.com. And of course, if you ever want to learn anything about Satanism, buy and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Do you yourself think? a favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> read it over and over again, because seriously, I still catch things that I missed. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember that the only way we're going to continue doing this podcast via, well, is via your interaction. Share it comment tell us what you think you guys have been doing wonderful so far let's keep it up let's ramp it up let us know once again thank you for joining me and as always i'm your host adam campbell being joined by jesse the very beautiful jesse desirable (laughs) i hope we do meet so (laughs) you can see what a douchebag i really am you can see what a dork i am (laughs) and until next week hail satan hail satan